Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On a great day for the bulls. Where the Dow gained 178 points, the S&P advanced 0.45%, and the Nasdaq climbed 0.69% to a new all-time high. I think we need a new acronym for tech. Fang's just not cutting it anymore because the gains are no longer limited to Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Of course, now Alphabet. If you want to understand the strength in the Nasdaq, you need a new acronym. So say hello to InchFang, as in it's not just Fang anymore. All right, it's not that illiterate, but you get the point, right? What's behind this resurgence? First, let's go right to the elephant in the room, Apple. Now, not that long ago, Apple stock was just a trading vehicle for a quick gain, followed by an analyst pummeling about how its best days were behind it, right? None of the things that should have really mattered to these analysts, things like customer loyalty, incredible products, the most admired brand on earth. None of those things seem to mean anything to the technology analysts who put in the other spreadsheets to try to figure out earnings. They just knew that Apple's a hardware company with a tapped-out product and no further extension, no car that flies or runs on water, no Netflix killer, no year-long battery life, no Siri system that will crush Alexa, even as we learned today that Siri receives 10 billion requests per month. That's a lot of requests to make. But what these critics were missing is that Apple doesn't just have the most loved best tech for its cell phones. It's got a razor, razor blade business model that can't be beaten. That means people buy the phone and pay for services directly from Apple or buy some of the developer apps on display today at the big conference, and Apple gets a cut of each one. The money from this service revenue stream is huge, so big that it would be a Fortune 80 firm all on its own. And it's still growing. The service business is also far more lucrative than selling hardware with incredible gross margins. Let me be a commercial for Apple's service stream for a moment. Okay, so this week, you know, I like to garden. You've seen the tweets. I was gardening this weekend, and my wife said I had to take my muddy pants off before I came into the house and take them right to the laundry room. I did it, but I forgot to take out my phone. Well, you know what happened next. The dreaded iPhone spin cycle phone killer. And while we tried to save the phone, my wife stuck it in a box, in a you know, bag of rice. Uh, it, it, it would have been better if we had boiled the rice with, rice with the phone. At least we'd have something to eat. Now, I take my phone to the Verizon store. Sorry, John Ledger, on your 60th birthday, T-Mobile. And I ask uh, my guy, Mike, good guy, are my pictures going to be saved? 
He asked me if I pay for the iCloud uh, picture backup. And I said, I sure. I mean, doesn't everybody? And he said, well, everyone pretty much does now. They didn't then. Now they do. Okay, so I got to ask you, what's the cost to Apple for providing that monthly service? Not much. Yet they are raking it in month after month. So Apple's strength, the stock hit its uh, all-time high again today, is exhibit A in the non-fang rump. It's kind of amazing that a company with $943 billion market cap could really rally this hard. I mean, I don't, well, obviously, I've never seen it like it, nor have you, because we've never seen a company with that size market cap. Next up, the incredible run in the semiconductors. We had a recent swoon in the group. The first, uh, first one, the Chinese block Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP Semi. And the second part coming from its lack of big Apple orders for new iPhones. Remember, the service stream was responsible for the big upside, and that business uh, doesn't really need chips. It's much more of a consumer products business. Now, some semis should have never been knocked down by these stories, chiefly. NVIDIA, which makes chips for data centers, autonomous driving, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and gaming. It took a little bit, but ultimately the market was able to draw a distinction between chip companies that are pure cell phone plays and the ones that aren't. That's how NVIDIA found itself on the all-time high list today. Remind me to give him a treat when I get home. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wong is a genius visionary who's actually quite hard to understand because he actually operates on an entirely different plane altogether from the rest of us. Not unlike Andy Grove during Intel's heyday, although Intel's uh, current CEO, Brian Krasanich, is no slouch. On the contrary, the stock has been flying lately because Intel's such a big deal in the data center autonomous driving, while the personal computer is making a big comeback. Still, as great as Intel is, NVIDIA is the real growth marvel, and the last quarter was spectacular. Even if the sourpusses on Wall Street sold it off because the irrelevant cryptocurrency biz was soft. Sure didn't take long for the stock to bounce back, though, because the cryptocurrency uh, nonsense, I'm going to call it that, is not why people own the stock, the serious people. Then there's Microsoft. Mr. Softy just breached $100, and this move is about more than just personal computers, which are incredibly strong, or gaming, where the Xbox remains a leader. No, it's about the cloud with Azure, which is growing like a weed. Microsoft's bold. It bought LinkedIn, okay? It has made fortunes from the professional networking company's data. Microsoft's smart. Today, it picked up GitHub. That's a web developer platform. It's got the gold standard for 1.8 million customers, paying $7.5 billion for it. I think it's a good deal. The decision that was uniformly applauded by the sell side, something that was quite the opposite before CEO Nisash uh, Nadella took over, Microsoft has run, but I don't get, get the sense that it's overheating. We have an absence of news right now. And absence is making the heart grow fonder for the stock of Microsoft. Bye, bye, bye. Or how about Adobe? I mean, I hope I brought Adobe to you. I mean, I hope that, that, that that's been front and center for you. The remarkable company, this remarkable company, plays a huge role in the digitization of commerce. And it keeps producing new, more sophisticated software. The stock has been on fire, and it's the leader of the cloud kings that I talk about so much. Then there's the payment processors. See, there's a lot of stuff to take for this rally. A lot of... There's a lot of winners to get to where we are. Payment processors I look at are Square and PayPal. I know they shouldn't be in the same sentence. PayPal is four times the size of Square. But the fact is that both stocks are visible winners and a reminder uh, of this, this payment story and how it's early innings for both stocks. 
Jack Dorsey runs Square, and he also runs Twitter, which has become another NASDAQ store. Now, there are other non-tech stocks in the NASDAQ that are finally getting their due. Consider Regeneron and Amgen, both with a plethora of new drugs, as the best ways to invest in a very down-and-out group, biotech. I see others are keen on Gilead today. I have no real catalyst to recommend the stock, other than a group that were, uh, that's, were quite clearly smack in the middle of a, some sort of major group move. Oh, and if we're talking NASDAQ, We have to talk Starbucks, where Howard Schultz stepped down as executive chairman this evening. The news brought the stock lower. Some fear a new stream of insider selling, and others just wanted Howard around a little bit longer to help CEO Kevin Johnson, as the stock has become a real underperformer, particularly versus all the stocks I've mentioned in this segment. And Fang itself can never be dismissed. Google turns out to be a big winner from the new European privacy rules because advertisers need your consent to target, your, uh, target you with product, and the, only the largest Internet companies can easily get your permission. These regulations are basically a giveaway for Google and for Facebook. Now, there was a time when Facebook and Amazon were both in the government's crosshairs. Facebook's issues are well known, and today the New York Times tried to stoke the coals with a story about how the company somehow still shares your name and information with phone carriers. All I can say is, of course they do. And I bet most people don't mind, as there is no expectation of privacy when you post something on Facebook or Instagram. Get serious! Amazon's crime? It's got uh, on the president's bad side. So he started uh, trying to tear up the company's delivery deal with the post office. But even if President Trump gets his way, this is chump change for Amazon. Sure enough, we saw a piece of research today which talked about how Amazon's best days are ahead of them, even as the stock's already up 42% for the year. So here's the bottom line. The Nasdaq was left for dead not that long ago. But turns out it was just resting. It wasn't this. It was this. Will it continue to roar? I think investors like these stocks the same way Willie Sutton liked to rob banks, because that's where the money is. Whoa. Uh, let's go to Mihai in Pennsylvania. Mihai. Hey, Jim. This is Mihai from Easton. Uh, my stock is Mercado Libre. It's down over 5% since its latest earnings call. Right. Faces headwinds in uh, Brazil with the trucking strike, Argentina hyperinflation, uh, Venezuela economic crisis, and then conversion of 20 currencies into the U.S. dollars. For a long-term investor, do you think this is a buy, sell, or hold? You know, a, a weak hold, actually. I mean, look, I've got Amazon. My chapter shows the biggest position is Amazon. I, I, look, I, I'm completely endorse Alibaba. I, I, I like Baidu. I like eBay down here. But uh, Ricardo Libra is too hard for me. I, it's a stretch for me to say I think you should buy it. How about we go to Steve in Ohio, Steve? Hey, Jim. Hey, your advice has helped me make several thousand dollars in the past. I'm calling to see what you know about. Thank you. What's up? Hey, uh, for several years, I've been using a company called Shipping Easy, which is a department of stamps.com to process about 15,000 packages a year. I think they serve mostly, well, they serve all size companies, but uh, very popular. Amazon, right. eBay, and other online vendors. And my dealing with them has always been a very good service, very impressed. So I decided to check out the company and found out that they've been pretty much acquiring every little other similar company that's come up for the last 20 years, and they're maintaining a really good monopoly in the area. Uh, their stock is increasing, uh, I think, 300, 300% in the last three years. So uh, a few months ago, I started purchasing $10,000 a month. Wow. And 
Stock keeps going up. Uh, no end in Well, sight. it is the winner in the category. There's no doubt about it. And they're doing exactly what you said. And I think you've got a beat on it. Uh, it's a little, uh, it's a very pricey stock for me. But it is doing exactly what you said. And maybe that's exactly what is needed. So um, uh, I'm game. All right. It's not just Fang anymore. It's Inge Fang. Yeah, I know. It's I. It's not just Fang. Tech is in fuego. And I think we'll continue to rally. Oh, man, buddy, tonight. Wyndham spinoff is finally complete, and we've been all over this story. I'm sitting down with the CEO of the world's largest hotel franchisor to find out if it's time to get in. Then the restaurant business has been hot this year, but are there names that could be just starting? I'm going off the charts with Chipotle, Del Taco, and El, El, El Pollo Loco, and Bar San Miguel. And telling you which one I find most flavorful. Well, is it that hard? And Henry Schein has left a bad taste in investors' mouth of late. I'm sticking my teeth into the company after the stock's decline. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Last summer, we learned that Wyndham Worldwide, the huge hotel on timeshare play, was spinning off its non-timeshare business as a separate company. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts. As of Friday morning, the spinoff is complete with the independent hotel company trading under the symbol WH. They take brands like Ramada, uh, Days Inn, and then they license them to franchisees all over the world. I like this business model with an astounding 80 million rewards members. But I want to hear more. Now, over the next couple of days, we'll be interviewing the two leaders of both entities this morning. We had a chance to sit down with Jeff Bellotti. He is the CEO of Wyndham Hotels and Resorts, so take a look. Jeff, I want people to know this company. Two hotels a day, you open seven days a week? Two hotels every day of the week, including Saturdays and Sundays, Jim. Well, how is that possible? Because I think people would love to know, uh, one, is there really that much demand? And two, is it corporate or is it uh, just kind of vacation demand? There is tremendous demand, and we were just talking about the 5,700 owners and developers that build our hotel. So there's great demand from an investment standpoint. This is an incredible business model, and there's demand from from developers around the world, and not just here in the States, but internationally, where we've been growing double-digit for the last five years. And could you explain to people that you may not see Wyndham on the name, there's a lot of different nameplates, but there's also a Wyndham Grand that I think that people don't know about. We have 20 brands, and the Wyndham Grand brand is our flagship. And it's a brand that's on the move, Jim. It's coming back. It's in the upper upscale market. In markets like China, it is a luxury brand. You take any key capital city like Xi'an, China, where the Wyndham Grand brand there competes against 2,200 hotels. It was our hotel of the year last year. And it is rated number one on TripAdvisor against every luxury competitor in the market. And we have, we have Wyndham Grands coming up out of the ground in, in the great state of Florida. We have three great Wyndham Grand brands in markets like Orlando at the main gate, like Clearwater Beach, the Wyndham Grand at Clearwater, the number one beach in America, or the uh, North Palm Beach in Jupiter. It's a great brand. All right. Now, 
One of the things that uh, we're all conditioned, because, you know, I've been, I liked Steve Holmes. was one of my uh, Steve's the best. people. He's absolutely <laughs> the best. But, you know, Steve, Steve sold me on a model that had both timeshare and hotels. Why would we want the hotel portion and not the timeshare portion? The hotel portion is an incredible model. Think about it, Jim. Five hundred million, half a billion dollars of royalty fee income alone every year, so consistent, and it flows through at 90% margin, generating $450 million of royalty fee income before you get to the management and all the other ways that we could drive this business from, from a growth standpoint. Now, Lequinto is the most recent acquisition. Will this give you an opportunity to, to uh, buy more? Because apparently, I think that the growth story is both organic and acquisition. Absolutely. We came out, as you've seen us, as you've been reading today, trading at a much higher multiple. Um, and it will absolutely allow us to continue to do transformational deals like La Quinta. La Quinta is such a big deal for us in so many ways. Why? Tell me. because I know they have a huge it, loyalty program it is like you. an incredibly pure brand. The, the job that okay. that team, Keith Klein, uh, CPLG, right. and Raj Trevetti, who, who, who have led that brand for the last 50 years, or in that case, uh, 20, right. 900 hotels, 80% of these hotels are four out of five star above on, on TripAdvisor. So, so really consistent brand with an ability to grow this brand in, in, in America where it doesn't exist today with a much larger franchise sales team. And think about our franchise sales and development teams all over the world and their ability now with an upper upscale brand like La Quinta that trades uh, and, and competes against every upper mid-scale brand in, in, in the world and is so exceptionally well perceived. Our ability to grow that now is, uh, is, is extreme. All right. Now, you've mentioned TripAdvisor twice. Obviously, these are the kinds of social media things that didn't even exist when, when Steve first had this grand vision. Uh, how are you able to segment? Because obviously, you want the best TripAdvisors for every single uh, ec economy class all the way up to the grand. But how do you pick what price points and how do we recognize which price point is which? Sure. So we are the leader. We're, we're the world's largest hotel franchising company. We have 40% of the U.S. economy uh, hotel rooms, branded hotel rooms, 40% of the mid-scale uh, branded hotel rooms now with the Quinta and the acquisition of American. And we operate four of the top five brands in the economy segment. J.D. Right. Power uh, ranks of the dozens of brands they cover. Four of the top five are Wyndham brands in the economy space. Four of the top five brands J.D. Power covers of the dozens of brands they cover in the mid-scale space are Wyndham brands. So we're always looking for brands like La Quinta that fit, that are very high quality, that have great consistency, and most importantly, have an ability with an incredible franchise sales and development team for us to be able to grow. Now, one of the things we loved about the company Steve built is that it generated a huge amount of cash flow, which therefore meant that you could buy back a lot of stock. With this La Quinta, I have to believe that the buyback slows a bit, but because you generate enough cash, maybe second half of the year, we'll start seeing a uh, more aggressive buyback. We have authorized a $300 million buyback. We're committed first to paying a dividend. We announced a $1 a share dividend, consistent mm -hmm. with the Wyndham dividend that Steve has always had in place. We're going to first look to grow our business as, as, as we can, where, where we can find accretive deals like La Quinta. And to the extent that that's not available, buybacks absolutely we're committed to. Okay. Uh, the Airbnb threat, always too much made of it? Always too much made of it, especially in the economy in the mid-scale segment in the non-urban, suburban, roadside environments in which we play, yes. Okay. Millennials don't like to spend a lot of money inside a hotel room. 
They like the experience of traveling, though. Do you see millennials at, say, the uh, economy class because they don't want to give it all up for the room? Absolutely. And what we are doing, Jim, with our economy brands is elevating the experience. We believe that for far too long, millennials right. have wanted an upscale experience at an economy price. <laughs> right. and, and that's what we're doing with all of our brands. And to see our brands uh, so nationally ranked and, and the health that they, that they are enjoying today, take, take days in which years ago was, uh, was, was, was ranked 10th. Uh, it's, it's now third place on the J.D. Power rankings, and we, we want to see that continue to move up. Now, uh, if I want to be a builder of a, of a hotel for you, like who are, you know, who are they? Because it takes some capital. I'm trying to figure out what it will make, be sure that you continue to grow organically, because I can't believe that there's just that much money lying around to keep building new hotels for you. Jim, this is one of the most compelling spots in the market that developers want to want, want to build. Even now, even now, we're still under. We are still under hotel rooms. Jim, we have five thousand seven hundred of the smartest, most innovative, most successful entrepreneurs in America today that want to build more. Our franchisees grow with us. They might start with a day's in, but then right. they'll discover a Hawthorne by Wyndham, and suddenly they'll have three, four, five, six, thirty hotels under our flags because, as we were talking earlier, this is such a compelling cash-on-cash cash return, north of 40, or a return on equity in this market. Fee-for-service, acid light. I mean, it's, it's an incredible market. the marketplace wants market. a pure hotel. Right? Absolutely, the, the stock market wants it. The stock market wants it. It's where it's where the where uh, it, it's it's where we've been for 30 years, and we are so excited to be here. Excellent. That's Jeff Pilates, Wyndham Hotels and Resorts CEO. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Jim. Let's talk about more stuff that's working here. We know much of retail's been on fire lately, but the same holds true for many of the restaurant stocks. This group has been very strong in 2018, which makes a ton of sense. When unemployment falls below 4%, you've got plenty of people who, with decent jobs who can afford to go out to eat. And I'm sure the tax cuts don't hurt either. And please, enough with the gasoline. Gasoline is not enough to offset the goodness here. In other words, the same forces that have been driving the remarkable resurgence of retail are also bolstering the restaurant stocks. Even ones that have been written off and left for dead not that long ago. In particular, the casual dining stocks have really ignited here, which is why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Lack. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the all-star team behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter, which is an awful lot of fun. Lang really likes what he's seeing in the casual dining space. In particular, he thinks the charts of the Mexican fast casual stocks are looking very good here, like Chipotle, Del Taco, El Pollo Loco, Bar San Miguel. No, no, it's not even public yet. Anyway, there's three chains that offer great value and a pleasant experience. Although it goes without saying that none of them comes close to my small plate Mexican joint in Carroll Gardens. At a time when some people have been worried about rising raw costs and increased competition, although, by the way, avocado prices have finally come in a little, these three companies have been putting on a pretty good show. Even Chipotle, which seemed like a total goner five months ago, well, it's, 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 it's levitating. Lang expects all three will be able to outperform the restaurant group at least through the end of the fall. So we got some time here. And, uh, why? Well, let's take a look at the charts, okay? 
We'll start with the daily chart at Chipotle. This company is having a truly remarkable turnaround with the result that it now is one of the strongest stocks out there. Remember, in late 2015, Chipotle had a series of health scares across the country. Man, that was a nasty time. Uh, A lot of people got very sick. The stock was just obliterated. I told you over and over again that it takes roughly 18 months for a restaurant to come back from this kind of outbreak. But just when the company was finding its footing, it got hit with yet another health scare late last year. The numbers continued to stick up the joint. Investors bailed on the stock. When the market sold off hard in early February, Chipotle got poleaxed. It plummeted down to 247 bucks. And don't forget, this was a $750 stock in 2015. But that's finally where it bought it. I am so glad that we called uh, telling you to buy it, let's say, below $300. Well, uh, that was two months ago. Because since then, oh, my, has this stock been on fire. The company reported a fabulous quarter in late April, and in response, the stock folded 83 bucks in one single session. It was like a takeover, surging from $339 to $422. It has not looked back since. So can the momentum continue? Well, Wang certainly likes to look at the chart. Check out the relative strength index or the RSI right here, okay? Uh, that's a, a relative strength is an important momentum indicator at the bottom of the chart. It's been in super positive territory since the quarter. All good. All right. We asked about that, but it doesn't matter. That's still well above the line. Now, in recent weeks, the stock has been trading sideways. Right. So it takes the big leap and then it just stays sideways. And here's a breakout that a lot of people think is they're so worried it's going to be uh, come back into. But all that Bob is saying is this is the consolidation, the gains, as opposed to thinking that it's going to come back down. Lang thinks it actually could be ready for the next leg higher, not lower. Makes sense as the relative strength index is no longer in overbought territory. If it were up here, he'd be concerned that it was too hot. Uh, Now, if the stock spent a few weeks consolidating, he's okay with it. Meanwhile, Lang also likes the volume trends, which have improved here. And the volume is right here. Okay. Uh, Remember, I'm always telling you, for technicians, volume is like a polygraph. Strong volume means move is legitimate. Weak volume means a move is lying. In Chipotle's case, the stock has had very strong volume on its up days. See that's classic tell. Uh, and that's just a line that this run is the real deal. In the end, Chipotle is Lang's favorite stock in the group here. And he thinks that this $443 stock can rally to $480 and then perhaps even over $500 in the not too distant future. That would still be, no, you, of course, you missed it here. That would be a great move. And I think it's pretty, uh, I think that Lang's hot on this. How about Del Taco? All right, this is a speculative small-cap Mexican chain with more than 300 locations across 14 states. So take a gander at this one, okay? Del Taco spent the better part of a year playing punching bag. Nasty. Uh, and that was just a, just a tremendous decline. Uh, $15 last September down to $10 in March. Since then, though, it's caught fire, uh, just like Chipotle. And it's now up almost 25%. Straight line. Right from the March lows. Pretty good, huh? So why does Lang like this chart? A couple of reasons. First of all, the relative strength index, RSI, has moving, been moving steadily higher along with the stock price, and that is a very good sign. So RSI moving with stock price. Second, and more important, the moving average convergence divergence indicator, or the MACD, uh, which helps technicians detect changes in the stock's trajectory often before they, uh, they happen, made a bullish crossover in April. Okay, so your MACD cro- bullish crossover where the black line crosses above the red one. Since then, it's gotten more and more positive. Of course, the stock has roared higher over the same period. But Lang believes that Del Taco could have even more upside. While the stock is approaching the ceiling of resistance from where it gapped down in March at 1250, right near the 200-day moving average, Lang believes it can make a run at that level and then push higher. Wow, that'd be great. 
as he sees it, the path of least resistance takes Del Taco to just 14, to just under 14 bucks. All right. And that's roughly 13 percent from these levels. I think that's a, I think that's a do. I like that call, particularly because I like the MACD and the RSI is in the perfect shape. All right. Finally, there's El Pollo Loco. All right, which I called El Polo Loco once on the show, which which just shows you what a knucklehead I am. This is a small cap Mexican chain that we've had on the show a couple of times. While the daily chart uh, here has been kind of noisy, Lang likes what he sees on Loco's long-term weekly chart. Okay, so we're looking at the weekly chart now. Again, like the other Mexican chains, Loco had a rough time earlier this year, but it seems to have bottomed in recent months before making a meaningful turn higher. The stock recently made a run in its 52 week, at its 50-week moving average, where it met a ceiling of resistance, and then the rally stalled. You can see that. However, based on the action here, Lang thinks this could be a wild card for upside. Why? Well, El Pollo Loco recently made a higher low. That's a good sign. And the volume trends have been improving. You can see it's better volume right there. Uh, meaning the volume is higher on up days than down days. Meanwhile, the relative strength index, RSI, keeps uh, climbing. And in April, the moving average convergence divergence indicator made that bullish crossover. You can see that right there. Okay. Put it all together, and Lion thinks that El Pollo Loco can break out above its ceiling resistance and make its way to its 2017 highs of around 15 bucks. Very big percentage move, right? That's a monster 40% gain from these levels, and perhaps by the end of the year. Uh, I'm not as fan of El, as big a fan of El Pollo as I am of Del Taco, and I like Chipotle the best. But here's the bottom line. After spending a long time in the wilderness, these Mexican restaurant chains have been making some remarkable comebacks here. The charts interpreted by Bob Lang suggest that Chipotle, Del Taco, and El Pollo Loco still have plenty of upside here, and I think he's got a strong case. That said, Chipotle is only uh, the only one of these three that's not extremely speculative. So please be careful with the other two. Let's go to Scott in North Carolina. Scott. Hey, Jim. Pleasure being on your show. My pleasure. What's up? Uh, I'm looking at Bojangles in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I'm from. Yes. And I want to know what you think about it. I think Bojangles is pretty good. It's not an expensive stock. It's done okay. It's got a PE of 17, a group that's got a PE around 19. People don't really know it that well. It's up 24% for the year, but I think it can have further upside. Let's go to Moshe in Connecticut. Moshe. Hi, Jim. Haynes Lester recently had a tough quarter. Yes. The industry is under pressure. But do you think it's a good takeover target? Or at the very least, well, we can only recommend from- stocks on a fundamental basis. And on a fundamental basis, I struggle here because it's still too expensive. Should someone buy it? Look, I got to tell you, you know what's being bought? Companies with great earnings, not companies that have trouble. That's who's on everybody's radar. The restaurant stocks are on fire this year. Tonight's chartist, Bob Lang, thinks Chipotle, Del Taco, and El Pollo Loco are getting even hotter. I like Chipotle. And I think he's got a strong case, though, for all three of them. Still ahead, Henry Schein is down nearly 25% over the past year, but could a turnaround get you smiling again? Dental play? Ha! We'll find out momentarily. Then, chaos, despair, ruin. Where are all the woe-is-me investors now? I'm talking Italy and this market's worry works. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
Is it finally safe to circle back to Henry Schein? That's HSIC for you home gamers. For those of you who don't remember, this company is the largest distributor of dental and veterinary products in the world with a major vaccine kicker. For the better part of a decade, Henry Schein was an incredible performer with a stock that climbed from less than $20 at the depths of the Great Recession to $93 last summer. But over the past 12 months, the stock has been clobbered. It's down 25% as investors have started to doubt the company's ability to deliver organic growth in its core dental business. Of course, this is not the kind of company to just sit there and take it as the stock goes, goes lower. Henry Schein has announced a new joint venture to bolster its dental biz, while it's also telling us that it's going to spin off its fast-growing animal health division and merge it with Vets First Choice in order to unlock value for its shareholders. But while the company reported a solid enough quarter last month, some of the research reports notably those of Morgan Stanley, are predicting share loss to Amazon and that Shine's business could be slowing because of reimbursement pressure. So let's take a closer look with Stanley Bergman, the chairman and CEO of Henry Shine, to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Bergman, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Stanley. Have a seat. Hi, John. Thank you. Good to see you. All right, Stanley, let's cut to the chase because you're always straightforward. I've been yeah. reading this Morgan Stanley research, and they are very concerned that the second half of the year may not be strong. They're concerned about Amazon making inroads with dental offices, and they're concerned about reimbursement. And I would love to be have some of those fears allayed because the stock has been a tough one lately. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for having us on your show. We, we remain very optimistic about Henry Schein. I think you know from our last quarter earnings, we uh, reiterated guidance for 2018 at uh, 12 to 15% uh, EPS growth. We're pretty comfortable that uh, for the next years to come, We'll be in the high single digits, mid-teens in EPS growth. So you're saying right now that that growth that you projected when you last, when you last reported is still good, the numbers? We're comfortable with okay. that, yes, John. Okay. And uh, we have so many good things that are, are going on in the company. Uh, the dental business is very, very solid. The animal health business has great opportunities. Happy to discuss with you the reason why we're going to be spinning off well, the business. Well, let's do that because, one, you know, I, I, I like the model. I like the diversity. Animal health is one of my favorite businesses. You know, we've been a yes, big yes. supporter of IDEX Labs and Zoetis. So we felt it was a kind of if dental slows, vet stays strong. I mean, right. I like the mosaic, but you think the mosaic's not uh, as good as uh, going your separate ways? Uh, each of the businesses, the human side, the medical and the dental, has huge opportunities because, as you know, there's a growing correlation. A lot of scientific papers are being published. A large correlation now between good oral care, good health care, good preventative treatments in, uh, out of the hospital, in the, the office space setting, in the home, etc., is good for... Reducing healthcare costs and improving the quality of life. Okay. So that's one focus. On the other side, there's the animal health side. And yes, in the early days, it was all about logistics. It's not about logistics any longer. It's about demand generation. The notion that prescriptions are issued to veterinarians, by veterinarians, right. to the patients, and we've got to get compliance. Vet's First Choice is a terrific company at ensuring that prescriptions that are issued ultimately are fulfilled. Right. And they have tremendous big data, small data, uh, 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 artificial intelligence. We have the practice management systems. Put that together with our supply chain business, you have a unique opportunity. Okay, so talk to me about a couple of things that are about to happen, particularly your clear aligner, SLX, yeah. and why you think that may be able to take share from Invisalign. Well, 
we are uh, in every aspect of dentistry. And the area of orthodontics has been important to us, and we're missing the clear aligner right. uh, product offering. We believe that our clear aligner product is a good one. It has as its base a clear uh, aligner, uh, uh, traditional uh, 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 wire and bracket system that connects to the clear aligner. You put the two together, and we believe we have a very good offering. You can buy our clear aligners separately as well, but you put the two together, and it's a great offering. Let me just add also that on the dental side, we have uh, uh, entered into a joint venture with Internet Brands to create right, Henry Shine One. Yeah, Internet Brands owns WebMD, plus a number of other properties. But mm -hmm. we have aligned with the dental side. And on the dental side, they have software that also generates demand for visits to the dentist. Putting that together with our practice management systems, mm -hmm. and we have the leading practice management systems throughout the world, the developed world, and you put the two together, and we believe we can help dentists operate a more efficient practice so that they can provide better clinical care. Okay, one last question. There, are we saying right here that Morgan Stanley's analysis and their surveys, which indicate that Amazon is taking share, I know that you say that looks in mail order was not that successful, you never got to 8%. Right. Do we, can we refute? their analysis that says that Amazon is taking share from you. I don't even want to deal with Amazon per se. I will say to you that all these electronic uh, ordering companies, standalone companies, have not done well. Okay. We believe in the high-touch, full-service model. And between the two businesses that we've just discussed, the Henry Schein uh, One Henry Schein and, one and uh, Vets First Choice, we'll be generating somewhere between 120 and $130 million of accretion over the next uh, three years. You put that together with all our ordering capabilities, mm -hmm. we have a great offering for the years to come. Okay, well, that's what matters, years to come. Well, thank you so much. That's Stanley Bergman, uh, the chairman and CEO of Henry Schein. I hope he answers some of the questions that a, that a lot of Wall Street's been asked. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, that Morgan Stanley's been asked about. And money's back in. It is time! It is time for the lightning round. Let's start with Mylan in New York. Mylan. Mr. Dan, good morning. Valero's been tearing through the roof. I sold it at once. Well, when they ran deal collapse, now it's at 124. I want to get back in. Should I? Did I miss the boat? Uh, there's still a very big spread between uh, the Permian oil and the rest of the country, and therefore I think Valero still works. I hate to buy a stock at its 52-week high, but I do think Valero is an up stock, as is Holly. Let's go to Mike. It, as is, by the way, as Marathon Pete. Let's go to Mike in Maryland. Mike. What's up, Jim? Let's go, Bird. Yes. Uh, um, my stock is ICHR, Icor Holdings. Uh, semiconductor equipment. Frankly, I prefer Lamb Research if we're going to go down that path. Let's go to Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Yeah, hi, Jim. Hi, Dennis. I'm at a loss. Saying Diamondback Energy is down 15% for the month. And another 3% today. Well, this is all about the glut of oil. Prices. They can't get the Permian. There's a traffic jam at the Permian. That's what it is, a traffic jam at the Permian. 
and that's making it so that Fang and a couple others are really being hurt. I would stick with it. Rick in Illinois. Rick. Hey, hello, Mr. Kramer. This is Windy City Rick. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Windy City. I'm a, I'm a first-time caller. God bless Primerica. You are the best. Hey, I bought Monster Beverage back in 2015, thinking it would be a possible buyout candidate by Coca-Cola. Since 2015, it has split 3-1, to one, and it's recently missed quarterly earnings, and it seems to have stalled. Going forward, is Monster Beverage a buy, sell, hold? No, I don't like it. The- I, I've liked it for a very long time, but they missed the quarter, and I don't see any turnaround anytime quickly. I just think that it's just not worth being in. Tom in New Jersey, Tom. Mr. Jim, thanks so much for taking my call. Of course, Listen, I'm Tom. a Giants fan. You're an Eagles fan. Yeah. But I want you to be nice to me anyway. I want your Not take on Emerson Electric, sir. Thank okay. you. Okay. Emerson is a position we've quietly built for ActionLearnsPlus.com, telling all club members that we think that Emerson could trade up very big. We had David Farr on the show. We really like what he had to say, and we think it's a buy. I need to go to uh, Beverly in Massachusetts. Beverly. Hi, Jim. Hi, Beverly. This is my first time calling. I'm trying to watch your show on a regular basis. Thank you. With their recent collaboration with Amazon, as well as their new developer programs, which seem to be a topic of discussion recently, I wanted to know if you could provide some analysis on Progress Software. You know, Progress Software is a company that's had an unbelievable long-term business. It's been great. It's beaten numbers time and again, and I think it will, too. I'm surprised to see it down here this much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. A week ago, we were panicking about a monster spike in Italian bond yields as the Italian 10-year spiked from 2.62% to 3.16% overnight. And we heard talk that Italy was headed for some sort of collapse. Given that a month before the Italian 10-year had been sitting at 1.76%, it was easy to understand the panic especially since a pair of anti-establishment parties on the right and the left seem poised to form a new government. No wonder the Dow quickly shed 400 points, right? When the third largest bond market is crumbling, it has to lead to chaos, to despair, to ruin. Because, well, uh, doesn't it? Apparently not. A week later, Italian bonds are back to exactly where they were before the old government fell. Italy conducted what was, by all means, a very successful bond auction. Don't ask me who's dumb enough to hold them, but you sure could flip them. And there's a new firebrand prime minister, Giuseppe Conti, a member of the faculty of the University of Florence Law School, who studied those houses of tumult and rebellion, Yale Law School and Duquesne University, while spending some time at those radical hotbeds of Cambridge and the Sorbonne. I think it's fair to ask, since no one else will, I mean, what the heck did happen here? Why did we get so terrified about Italy in the first place? First, some investors hate anything that threatens the status quo, even in a place like Italy, where the status quo is objectively kind of terrible. Other investors are so timid that they can't handle any uncertainty anywhere, even if it has nothing to do with the United States, simply because they are trained to react to any new input with fear. Trained, like reversed dogs. 
Finally, there are no rules about how things can be reported on. People, including me, are always on the lookout for something new to talk about. And the spike in Italian bond yields was certainly worth talking about. But to do so in stentorian and pseudo-knowledgeable fashion and scare you, not my style. Or to put it another way, it's very easy to gin up fear-inducing headlines when two supposedly extremist parties form a coalition to take power. But, man, it's hard to see how they could do a worse job than the guys they were replacing. Why doesn't anybody say that? So what would have been the right way to approach the situation? For starters, it would have helped enormously to have some perspective on Italy. The country's gotten pretty dysfunctional with almost no growth whatsoever and an 11% unemployment rate and a busted budget that's training under the weight of a huge refugee population. Second, I wish more people had done what I did, pointing out that Europe's recent history of chaos has provided multiple opportunities to invest here because in every case, the panic over there has been short-lived. That's right, invest here, though. Finally, you can be sure that what happens in Italy will not be related to individual companies because all anyone cares about now are, frankly, the indices, which trade as if they are their own beasts, not related to anything corporate at all, like earnings or dividends or prospects, either here or abroad. The latter, they all take homework. I do the homework. My life is not richer for doing the homework. I hope you're richer for for listening to me, but it's not richer for me. I would much rather watch Netflix and go to the movies. Now, obviously, the press can't just report a story like this. They can't just they can't avoid it. Right. They can't just say, I'm not going to cover. No. But but you can give people some context. And when it comes to Italy, a little context would have gone a long way, people. On a slow news day, though, with almost no earnings and the usual Trumpian trade tensions growing less and less newsworthy, this Italian thing was something new and exciting and easily framed as frightening. Remember, when the so-called experts terrify you, there are no consequences whatsoever whatsoever when they turn out to be wrong. If it turns out to be terrible for our markets, which was not the case, the dread will be warranted. If it turned out to to have a positive resolution, which was the case, well, nobody pays for the scared stories. Who cares, right? And that is the way this business works. Bulls are always punished more harshly for being wrong than the bears are. But you can expect it. And you can exploit it the next time we get some huge sell-off on a story that has nothing to do with the United States. Just like this Italian job of one week's past. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.